Hey, hey, greetings, and welcome back once again to Categorical Imperatives. Uh, I am always I'm your host, Lockean Liberal, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, for those of you who may be new uh, to this program and what I do, welcome. This is a podcast where we will be using legal and moral philosophy to discuss current events as it relates to various aspects of politics and culture. And I got to take a minute here, just the beginning, uh, to bitch because uh, I, I actually was very disappointed. I, I had had an entirely different show planned for today, uh, and this was something I had been planning for a couple weeks, actually. And uh, for the uh, roughly fifty percent of you out there who, on any given year, file an income tax return, know April fifteenth is tax day. I thought this was the perfect symbol uh, for doing an episode explaining the origins of the 16th Amendment, which is, of course, when our government made theft constitutional, uh, by which I mean that's uh, when they passed an amendment in 1913 uh, that established the constitutionality uh, of a direct non-apportioned tax upon all income from whatever source derived, which is a really fancy and stupid way of saying a graduated income tax. This would have also been able to uh, give rise to a succession of other videos on related topics that I would love to do for you guys, uh, such as the origins of the Federal Reserve, you know, a, a libertarian's favorite thing in the world to bitch about, uh, and why the Fed, what it is, uh, why it is inextricably linked to the 16th Amendment and the income tax, uh, as well as an episode about uh, why Woodrow Wilson is by far the most evil, dangerous, and destructive person to ever convince a gaggle of voters to give him control of the executive branch. But because of the uh, coronavirus uh, lockdown that we are under at the time, uh, this has caused the government to push back the filing deadline for taxes to July for this year, which has entirely ruined the elegance and the symbolism of this sort of anti-celebratory anniversary show idea that I had. And so I'm not saying that my mild inconvenience at having to retool my content at the last minute is dispositive of my suffering being equal to or greater than that of people who have been directly afflicted with COVID-19, but it is indicative that my suffering is greater than or equal to that of those who have been afflicted by COVID-19. However, uh, fear not, I had another uh, idea actually come through, uh, and I think this is actually another uh, idea that kind of keeps that sort of elegance of a, a theme uh, intact, and is also going to be something that will give rise to uh, a whole uh, series of other videos uh, in the future. And so uh, this is a chance for me to share with all of you uh, wonderful people uh, a new uh, a new segment to the show uh, that I am calling Today in Supreme Court History. 
And what I want to do here is uh, on the anniversary of important cases in constitutional law, uh, cases which are responsible uh, for better or worse uh, in making uh, our country the republic that it is today. And so today uh, marks the date in 1931 when a lesser known free speech case was adjudicated, a case known as Stromberg v. California. Now, though this is lesser known, that does not mean that it is less important than other cases. This actually was a seminal case. Uh, this was the first time that the 14th Amendment's due process clause was used to enforce uh, First Amendment protections on the state rather than on the federal level. Now, something that I have made clear uh, in past videos is that I, <clears throat> I do take issue with the doctrine of selecting corporation as a matter of substantive due process under the 14th Amendment's due process clause uh, for a number of reasons, uh, but especially because I think there's a much stronger uh, argument to be made uh, it, it, for a constitutional protection under the 14th Amendment using a textualist or originalist interpretation of the state action doctrine uh, in regard to the 14th Amendment uh, through the Privileges and Immunities Clause. Uh, if you're uh, not sure what I'm talking about there, uh, if you're not, uh, I will be putting... I've done some videos on this, which is why I said you might know my position on this. Um, and so I will be putting uh, links to a couple of prior videos I have done talking about the Fourth Amendment uh, and talking about the incorporation doctrine down in the description to this page. I would encourage people to go check those out if you are uh, unfamiliar with them. Uh, they are, again, a part of our uh, history in constitutional law that is really uh, not widely known, but things that uh, really affect us on a daily level in a lot of ways, and they're very important. Uh, these are things that are worth learning about, so go check those out. Uh, link in the description. So, uh, getting back to Stromberg, I would argue that uh, the dubious constitutional nature of the doctrine notwithstanding, Stromberg was a case that had a good outcome, even if it came out of a repugnant doctrine. So as we go through the show today, uh, I'm going to encourage everyone to kind of uh, consider a couple points and keep them in mind. The first being... Uh, is substantive due process a beneficial or a malevolent doctrine? And if you do think it is a malevolent doctrine, can the ends still be said to justify the means in a case where it led to a good result like the case you're going to be talking about today? And I would uh, love to hear your answer to those questions, dear viewer, uh, down in the comment section below uh, following this video. So let's get to the... Uh, uh, the meat of the show. So, a little backstory. Uh, Stromberg v. California was a United States Supreme Court case uh, in which the court ruled 72 that a 1919 California statute banning red flags was unconstitutional because it violated the First and the Fourteenth Amendments to the United States Constitution. Uh, this decision is considered a landmark in the history of the First Amendment constitutional law as it was the first case where the court extended the 14th Amendment to include a protection of the substance of the First Amendment, uh, not on speech per se, but on the symbolic speech of expressive content from state infringement. 
So this case starts uh, with a organization in California uh, that was known as the Better America Federation. Uh, I'll be calling them the BAF for short. Uh, this was a group whose goal was to clear the state of California from what they deemed to be dangerous dissent. Uh, at one point, they uh, had fixed their targets on a uh, organization known as the Pioneer Summer Camp in the summer of 1929. Uh, this was a youth camp for working-class children, which was maintained by a number of different groups and organizations, some of which were either openly communist or which had expressed sympathy for the Communist Party's goals. Uh, California had a state law that they had enacted in 1919. This state law prohibited public display of a red flag. The BAF persuaded a local sheriff to search the Pioneer Summer Camp. The resultant search turned up a red flag. The sheriff then arrested the employee who was in uh, who was in possession of the flag, a young woman named Yetta Stromberg, and it also arrested uh, a couple other uh, teachers from that summer camp and employees from that camp as well. Now, Stromberg was a 19-year-old student at the University of Southern California. She was a member of the Youth Communist League, which was an international organization affiliated with the Communist Party. Now, in the state trials, uh, the charge brought up against her was in relation to a daily ceremony uh, which took place at this summer camp in question that uh, occurred on a loaned ranch near a town called Yucaipa, uh, California. I think Yucaipa, California. I might be pronouncing that wrong. But uh, this was the camp she worked at as a teacher. Uh, and during the ceremony in question, Stromberg supervised and directed the youth uh, in raising a red flag and in making the following pledge, quote, I pledge allegiance to the workers' red flag and to the cause for which it stands, one aim throughout our lives, freedom for the working class, end quote. Stromberg was also found to have uh, owned a number of books and other printed materials that openly advocated violence and armed uprisings though she testified that none of those materials were ever employed in her teaching of the children. So uh, the appellant uh, was charged under the California Penal Code, Section 403A, which condemns displaying a red flag in a public place or in a meeting place, uh, either A, as a sign, symbol, or emblem of opposition to organized government, uh, or B, as an invitation or stimulus to anarchistic action or C, as an aid to propaganda that is of a seditious character. Now, these three purposes, which are uh, expressed uh, disjunctively in the statute, uh, in the allegation made, uh, were made conjunctively. And uh, despite uh, Stromberg's general demure, that the information uh, be uh, edited that objection was overruled, uh, but she still uh, contended, as was permitted by California practice, that uh, the statute was repugnant to the 14th Amendment. Now, at the trial, the jury was instructed, following the express terms of the statute, that the appellant should be convicted if the flag was displayed for any of those three purposes. 
there was a general verdict of guilty. The appellant accepted this instruction uh, in the state appellate court, but insisted that under the 14th Amendment, the statute was invalid uh, as being an unwarranted limitation on the right of free speech. The appellate court uh, did entertain the contention, but decided as firstly uh, expressing doubts of the validity of the statute as it related to the first of the three clauses defining the purpose, uh, that purpose being the opposition to organized government, but construing them uh, as disjunctive and separable and upholding the statute as to the other two. So Stromberg filed uh, a petition for a writ of certiorari, uh, which for those of you who may not know, is the legal brief that is filed with the Supreme Court when one is seeking judicial review on a decision of an inferior court. Stromberg's petition sought to appeal her case on the grounds that the California statute in question outlawed the symbol of a legally recognized party. And in the Supreme Court's decision, the court had to consider whether the 1919 California Red Flag Law was unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. In a 7-2 decision, Chief Justice Hughes followed the logic of the Holmes Doctrine that had been introduced in a 1919 case known as Schenck v. United States, which was another uh, very important free speech case that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, at some point in the future. But ultimately, uh, on the 18th of May, 1931, the court concluded uh, that the broad red flag ban was too vague and could be used to disrupt the constitutionally protected opposition by citizenry by those in power. And because of this, the California legislature uh, repealed the law in 1933. So in an opinion delivered by uh, Chief, Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes, the court considered whether any of the three clauses of the California law were, as the applicant alleged, a violation of her constitutionally protected right. The court had previously established in a series of cases that the right of free speech is essential to liberty and is protected by the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. The opinion noted, however, that this protection did not extend to forms of expression which may incite violence crime, or the overthrow of organized government by unlawful means. The court found little reason to question the validity of the second and third clauses of the statute as they pertain to such prohibitive forms of expression, uh, and they concentrated instead on the first clause. Now, this first clause, again, prohibited individuals to display a red flag, banner, or badge, or any flag, badge, banner, or device of any color or form, whatever, in any public place, or in any meeting place, or at any public assembly. So, even when such a red flag did not represent a symbol of opposition to organized government, uh, as was outlined in Clause 2 of the California law, or uh, meant as a symbol to stimulate uh, anarchistic action, as was laid out in Clause 3 of that California law. Uh, upon examining the vagueness of the statute, uh, the court concluded that a law so indefinite as to permit the punishment of peaceful and orderly opposition uh, exercised in accordance 
with legal means and constitutional limitations was, quote, repugnant to the guarantee of liberty contained in the 14th Amendment. In thus finding the first clause of the statute invalid, the court set aside the conviction uh, of the appellate uh, as the conviction appeared to have rested exclusively on that first clause. The court did not proceed to rule on the constitutionality of the second and third clause of the statute. And in the uh, majority opinion uh, written by Justice Hughes, he said, The maintenance of the opportunity for free political discussion to the end that government may be responsive to the will of the people and that changes may be obtained by lawful means, uh, an opportunity essential to the security of the republic is a fundamental principle of our constitutional system. A statute which, upon its face, uh, and as authoritatively construed, is so vague and indefinite as to permit the punishment of the fair use of this opportunity is repugnant to the guarantee of liberty contained in the First and Fourteenth Amendment. All right. So, really, the court, this was an important case, uh, and uh, the Supreme Court, uh, after this case, would not find that a federal law violated the free speech clause again until 1965. So I uh, hope you guys all enjoyed that. Uh, I uh, hopefully this is a uh, cool little idea I can do this, uh, you know, history of the court thing. So if you guys like it, uh, let me know. Leave me a comment. If you have an answer to any of those two questions I asked at the beginning of the show, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And so uh, I would ask if you're uh, not subscribed to my channel already, uh, if you would subscribe, that would help me out a lot. Uh, I want to begin doing releases on a more structured basis, but I haven't gotten there yet. So at this point, videos kind of just go up when they go up. Uh, so if you can subscribe, that will help make sure that you see my content when it comes up. And the other thing that I like to ask people is if you found this particular video interesting uh, or helpful uh, or informative or entertaining or anything uh, like that, um, that you take a minute and uh, pass it on to one person who you think might also find this video interesting or informative or entertaining. Uh, if you would do that for me, uh, I would really, really appreciate it. And so,
motherfucker.